2: Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John with is here Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. We have Dr. Sky, Steve Cates, what's going on on the moon? We have Congressman Kevin Earn of Oklahoma. He is worried about the Chinese and what they're doing in America. The Congresswoman Kat Kamek, worried about what's going on on our borders. Mario Gabelli. He's gonna give us his analysis of where the markets are and where they are going. General Wesley Clark, an analysis of America, the world, and our military capabilities. And let's start off, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. With us today is the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. He's a professor of history, Speaker Gingrich, tell us, I mean, there's so many problems going on.
3: Where would you like to start? Well, I think it's fascinating to look forward to the State of the Union for two different reasons. One is, this is Biden's big chance to try to prove that he's dynamic and capable and what have you. And the fact is, all around him, things are falling apart. There's a notice recently that the White House has decided to call illegal immigrants newcomers because newcomers doesn't sound as bad. Well, very few Americans are going to applaud and say, oh, yes, the Venezuelan newcomers who beat up the New York policeman really aren't illegal immigrants. They're just newcomers. Or the Venezuelan immigrant who killed the young, uh, the young student at the University of Georgia wasn't really illegal. They're just newcomers. It's an example of the problem that Biden has. He keeps trying to use language to cover up reality. And for the average American, reality overwhelms Whatever he's saying. So his speech will be interesting. It'll be, I'm sure, full of some props. I'm sure he'll attack the House Republicans, try to get them all excited and yelling at him. But what's equally interesting is that Senator Britt, who is the new freshman senator from Alabama, who some very smart people believe will be Trump's vice presidential pick, she has her big audition night because she's going to deliver the response to biden and i remember several years ago that uh, we had a similar kind of response from sarah huckabee sanders and she was brilliant so eventually to see if brit rises to the occasion and if she does it'll be a major step up in her potentially being trump's vice presidential candidate so that's going to make that day interesting the, the other thing to, to, keep, to watch for is that the inflation is coming back not so much in food and gasoline although that's where people see it and frankly, food prices are now so high that even without any additional inflation, people are really, really bothered and they find this is not affordable. Now, to went the other day to buy some hamburger to make some spaghetti. She was shocked at what she's now paying for hamburger. And that's just not going down. So that's going to be a burden. But, but in addition, the latest numbers on services, things like insurance or entertainment or accounting, any kind of, as opposed to buying goods, any kind of service, that jumped 7%. Now, from the standpoint of the Federal Reserve, that's a huge disaster. And the reason it's happening is pretty simple. The Fed's major tool for fighting inflation is to raise interest rates. But that only affects the private sector. And, by the way, increases the cost of government because the largest borrower in the the world is the U.S. government. So their, their payments go up. But at the same time, the Biden administration is borrowing so much money And spending so much money that it is inflating the economy at the very time that the Fed is crushing the private sector. This is part of what happened with Jimmy Carter, except it's worse this time. And I think it's a a recipe for disaster. One out of every four new jobs is a government job. That's how distorted the economy's become. Washington, how broken is it? We hear the
2: foreign money coming into Washington like it's going out of style. I mean, other countries. Part of their budget is how much they're going to give to Washington.
3: Oh, I think that's right. I, look, look I, I've always recommended to people a, a brilliant novel by Colleen McCullough, who wrote The Thornbirds. And she wrote a, a novel called The First Man in Rome, and it was about Julius Caesar's uncle. And you see Rome, which had defeated Carthage and become the dominant military power in the Mediterranean. All of a sudden, all of these local kings and princes figure out it's cheaper to, to bribe the Romans than to fight them. And so they all end up, you know, shipping money into Rome to bribe people, and it corrupts the whole system. And I think, frankly, that that's part of the story at Harvard and Yale and Princeton and the University of Pennsylvania is part of the story with some of these lobbyists. There, there, there are law firms in Washington that represent Hamas and actually help the Hamas leaders figure out how to steal money. I mean, it is just, it's just—it's a level of penetration that is astonishing.
2: And I know. Companies are, are people of people of descent from certain Asian and, and uh, OPEC nations, American companies, that the funds are being funneled to their companies that get funneled to Washington. Right. I mean, it's just, it's out
3: of control. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, what do we do? Well, I mean, the first we have to do is get transparency and accountability. We need laws that say any foreign money above, say, $5,000 has to be reported and report it in a way that we can track it. You know, there is a law, and has been a law for a good while, that universities are supposed to report foreign gifts. They don't. You're in a situation where universities take millions of dollars. University of Pennsylvania took at least $60 million from the Chinese while housing the the Penn Biden Center. Fifteen people in the Biden White House plus the Secretary of State We're all being paid by this University of Pennsylvania operation, and the Chinese were giving them, you know, 60. We don't know the exact number because the University of Pennsylvania refuses to report it, which is illegal. And so you you look at places like Harvard. There are a number of these foreign countries now that have invested heavily. And, of course, in a free market environment, you know, if the Saudis want to come in and buy something, it's perfectly legal. Remember, the largest single outside stockholder of the New York Times is the wealthiest man in Mexico. So, I mean... This is a real problem for us as we watch our country, uh, on the one hand, being subverted from below by millions of people invading us illegally, and on the other hand, being subverted from above by very, very very rich governments and and individuals who are entering at a very high level.
2: The other thing on the big picture in the world that bothers me is this artificial intelligence situation. Everybody's going to just believe what artificial intelligence tells them and they don't realize that artificial intelligence can be manipulated like uh, Google, Google can. Or, you know, when you go to Google and ask okay. for something, it could be manipulated. Exactly. Is well, our history, is our, you're a historian,
3: is our history going to be changed? Well, certainly. I mean, if you look at Google, they, they have all sorts of misinformation. And they recognize that they, they've had some very, very left-wing junior programmers who've put all sorts of stuff into their version of artificial intelligence, it's just plain false. It's just phony. But I think also we have to recognize that you you are going to be bombarded, all of us are going to be bombarded, with so much data from so many places that sorting it out and figuring out what we really believe is going to be much more complicated than it used to be. I mean, there was a time during World War II and shortly thereafter where people really did trust the news because the news had been unified against Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan. But now there's so much that that comes on social media, on TikTok, on various news channels, that is just plain false. I mean, it represents efforts to manipulate us. And people are going to have to learn how to sort it out and how to defend themselves and how to ask tough questions.
2: Newt Gingrich, what's your final word to uh, the 340 million citizens of the United States?
3: Well, it's basically like on Ronald Reagan. You ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, I just did a piece on you know, the other day at Gingrich 360 on the uh, lunar lander, which uh, was the first time Americans went back to the moon since 1971. We have extraordinary things happening in biology that are going to extend our lives and keep us much healthier. We have great things happening with the space program that are going to expand the frontier for young people, hopefully get them to decide that studying and learning math is worthwhile because they're going to be part of a great adventure. So I'm an optimist. If we can solve our current problems, the future is going to be bigger and brighter and more exciting than ever.
2: Newt Gingrich, 50th Speaker of of the United States of America, thank you for working as hard at our age as we did when we were both younger. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you so much. Thank you. You are listening to the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, with an update. What's going on on Mars, the moon, up in the skies? Steve, tell us, give us an update what's going on.
0: John, there's so much in this month here as we move on to February and move into March. But here we go, a quick analysis of the moon landers. Notice I said landers that we both experienced during the month of February. The Japanese slim lander. And the U.S. Odysseus lander. That, of course, both of them, unfortunately, as we've reported here on, you know, your particular uh, radio show, listeners around the nation and around the world, on the Cats Roundtable, both of them, in case people don't know, tried to land but actually fell on their
2: side, which is totally amazing. But here's something I know. I know we had a discussion one night that uh, it was the dumbest thing I ever uh, (laughs) saw. That they built a completely vertical. Uh, without the ability to adjust. Because if one leg was in the uh, the crater, it's going to fall.
0: Absolutely. It's too tall. And you're right. Look at the old lunar landers of the Apollo era, John. Those legs are spread out far and wide on a spacecraft that's not as tall with the probability like these of leaning over. But the good news for the landers, even though they're kind of half-functioning, is that both the japanese slim lander and the odysseus are still sending back well little bits of data here but what's so interesting about this the japanese lander actually woke up after the long lunar night and by the way the temperatures there on the moon get down well below 200 below zero fahrenheit and they're operating on batteries but what's really interesting about this is that that particular lander also has interesting enough a ham radio station that's sending out a signal at 437.41 megahertz. Not that that means too much to people out there. But the bottom line on this is we find out that both the Nova Sea Odysseus lander, which is on its side, and the other lunar lander that I mentioned before, it's interesting. We obviously need to make a big change, as you mentioned, in how we get down onto the surface of the moon without this unfair you know, toppling over. That is very very sad.
2: Well, let's let's take advice. Let's take advice from the space aliens, flying saucers. They're big, round, and across, and they come down slowly. They can't tip over. Absolutely,
0: and they have one advantage that we haven't figured out yet, John, and that's anti gravity. Well,
2: I told you once already. uh, I have some information that we do have anti gravity, but we're not telling anybody yet.
0: Well, John, I hope that becomes a reality sooner than later. But here's a quick analysis. Space missions for 2024. We can expect that SpaceX's Starship will get another series of test you know, vehicles to get up above and hopefully get their Starship, you know, actual spacecraft out into orbit around the Earth. They've been doing the best they can. Elon Musk now with the most powerful rocket in the world. But how about this, John? The Chinese are actually going to launch in 2024 their own version of the Hubble Space Telescope And the giant web telescope. So get set for stories about that as they peer deeper into the universe. But John, we know that you're telling me this is a very popular segment, and I agree. But the mystery of the week is what we're talking about today. And here's another one. When the universe was formed 13.77 billion years ago, we found out that, well, the universe is expanding. But what's it expanding into? Now, how about this? Astronomers and cosmologists believe that there's something way out there in space. I'm talking about outside maybe where the envelope of expansion is, or maybe we don't know. It's called the Great Attractor. And what's that, John? It's an area in the universe where all of the galaxies, like ours and the whole cluster of them, is actually actually moving toward one direction. And how about this? This massive supergalactic cluster of thousands and hundreds of thousands of galaxies is called the Ilaniakia Galaxy Cluster. So what I want to make sure that everybody heard me say is that the universe is not just moving outward like a bubble, like an expanding balloon, but our galaxy and others are moving toward another region of space. We call that the Great Attractor. Isn't that mind-boggling?
2: Well, I, I hate to disagree because uh, you're a good friend. There's no way they would know that. That's strictly only... speculation. Think about it. It's strictly speculation. Well, it's then, expanding. You're right on something. It, it, it is expanding somewhere. And it's the other discussion I had uh, uh, this morning with a a friend of mine who wrote a, uh, a book about God. And I said, of course there's a God. Of course there's a creator, because Earth and human beings are too complicated to be an accident.
0: Well, that's a good way to look at it, John, and I agree with you 100%. But the only evidence that we have for this, at least right now from the astronomers, is that they can actually detect this thing called a red shift. And what's that? That's a shift that they see, meaning the farther an object is out, the faster it's moving away. But in this particular case, they're mapping points as if you looked at, you know, little pegs on a wall. They're noticing that a good percentage of those are actually moving into another direction, not just expanding like a balloon would. But the jury's still out as we were talking about this. But it's amazing, John, to know that the outer edge of the universe right now is what they think they know, that is scientists is that it's about 93 billion light years as that expansive end, whatever it's expanding into. That is quite mind-boggling in my estimation.
2: Well, Steve Cates, Dr. Sky, thank you for, uh, you know, shaking up our minds a little bit this morning. And uh, (laughs) we always welcome you because things are going on up there that we don't know about. And hopefully before it's time for us to go, that we learn a little bit more.
0: Well, John, thank you for having me here on the Cats Roundtable as we open people's minds. Check our Dr. Sky experience at WABCRadio.com as we count down the big eclipse that's just around the corner. Thank you so much.
1: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60 day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD.
4: The Cats Roundtable.
2: With us today is uh, Congressman Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma. And uh, he has introduced a new bill in Congress about China. Uh, And uh, we'd love to hear about it and... uh, 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 Congressman Hearn, uh, tell us about, uh, we are we getting invaded? I mean, the fentanyl problem, the border problem, uh, the excess money going to our universities. You tell us, give us an update, what's going on with the Chinese government.
5: Well, certainly, and, and thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know what? There are a lot of things that are very partisan in Congress right now, but the ever-growing uh, issue that's bringing everyone together in Congress is what China is doing uh, around the world and to us. Uh, I think when you look at what's happened at the southern border, as you just described, 100,000 people killed uh, in, in 2021 as, as put forth by the CDC. Uh, it's the number one killer of uh, people in America, 18 to 45. And it's all coming across the southern border. I, I've talked to governments around the world. There are no fentanyl problems around the world. It's only in, in the United States. I've talked to governments in South America. The fentanyl doesn't flow south. And when you couple that with the fact that it's very inexpensive, relatively speaking, to cocaine and heroin, it's something like a dollar a pill, according to our own uh, DAs in, our, in the state of Oklahoma, one has to ask themselves, uh, why is China sending all that fentanyl here that's so cheap? And the only conclusion you can come to is they're trying to kill America from within, and we have to got to stop this. And again, it's only manufactured in Manu- uh, Mexico by precursors, the the ingredients coming from China into Mexico. And then you look at what's happening around the world with China going into countries like Peru and like. Uh, in South Africa, and building these nice, new, shiny ports, spending billions of dollars. And every each place they build these ports, it puts them closer to us. It brings Asia 10 days closer by the new port they're building in Peru to, to the Western Hemisphere. If you look at South Africa, on the west coast of South Africa, it's the shortest route to South America. So while we have been comforted over the years by the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, to to distance ourselves from our adversaries, What's happening is China is coming in mass from, from the south, and one of our largest groups of immigrants now. And one has to scratch their head: are the Chinese people? Uh, 60 minutes, 60 minutes, just put uh, 60 minutes, just put this out uh, like two weeks ago. They showed Chinese coming across the world through Tijuana using TikTok to get through the southern border wall to come into America, and and so it's devastating. What's happening? Uh, we're being invaded. In a soft invasion, but it's one that we know, and Christopher Wray, the FBI director, has even acknowledged that it's going to be sleeper cells when it's inside of the United States, and we have to be gravely concerned. And this bill attacks all these aspects, trade, uh, education of our people, and looks at our southern border and sanctions Chinese officials and businesses until this fentanyl issue drops uh, down to some by, by some 98 uh, percent.
2: There is, you're absolutely right. Uh, that there is a lot of problems, and, uh, uh, and what, what what would this bill do? I mean, the, the Chinese realize that, you know, things have been happening under President Biden. Do you think he's compromised?
5: I don't know if he's compromised. Obviously, the oversight and judiciary committees right now are going through all of that. Uh, certainly, we know that Hunter Biden was paid by the Chinese, and— And certainly that's not been disputed right now is what's the connection between that and and Joe Biden. And that's being looked at right now in in earnest with a lot of uh, people coming in, including Hunter Biden, to, you know, try to ascertain what that connection was. But certainly when you look at what uh, how free the Chinese are moving, not only around the world, but through South America and across the border. And it's that's all happened in mass, since Joe Biden has been in office,
2: so they have presence in every continent. Almost,
5: they do. They do. Uh, you know, I, I would argue every continent they have a presence, and they're moving certainly, certainly freely around the world. And it's you know, this is one of those things. Uh, this bill is is to really uh, solidify bipartisanship and sort of hunkering down, if you will, to protect America from what is our greatest adversary. Um, in modern times. Somebody, a country in China that is a communist country, I think people mistake that Xi Jinping is, quote, the president of China, but his official title is the general secretary of the communist people. And, you know, so we have to make sure we understand that we are in direct competition with a superpower that is a communist country with a huge economic might and is growing its military at three to four times what we're growing ours, And we have to be cognizant of this. And this bill sort of solidifies and brings together the expert opinions and bills uh, and ideas and and all of the collective thought on how we can combat each one of these areas. It's 357 pages long. Uh, It's a very comprehensive bill, and I would argue, and many have as well.
2: Do you have bipartisan support? Do you have anybody on the Democratic end that's supporting you?
5: Well, certainly what we did right now is we dropped this, uh, introduced this bill quickly to get it out there because of the imminent threat of a lot of things that's happened with China. I believe that there will be many Democrats that will support this bill. Uh, It's the most conservative aspect of it. Uh, I don't know what uh, particular areas that uh, that my Democrat colleagues would push back on this. Um, They might question some of these. But clearly, even with Joe Biden, he, he has been in much support of what President Trump did with uh, the tariffs and the punitive actions he's put on China so much so that he has not removed any of them. Uh, when you look at Joe Biden, who has basically gotten rid of every executive order, uh, every uh, you know conservative idea that President Trump did, China is the one place he has not moved an inch on from China or from President Trump's policies. And
2: Congressman Hearn, I want to say thank you for what you're doing, and let's catch up again real soon.
5: Sounds great, John. We have to keep That's working it. on this.
2: Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back, right after this break. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to wabcradio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. What is today is Congresswoman Kat Kamek. And uh, I love that nickname, Cat. Stands for Catherine. And Cat, uh, <laughs> tell us uh, you, you were uh, uh, looking at what happened this week on both presidents uh, visiting the border. Uh, give us your evaluation.
6: Oh boy, where to even start? I mean, John, you and I have talked about this um, for for a long time. The border is a total disaster. It's an open border you guys in New York, you are the recipients of this disastrous policy, and um, as are so many Americans. But when you've got these competing visits by President Trump and and Biden, one of the things that I have been really quick to point out to my my colleagues, who seem to fall into this trap pretty, pretty easily, is they say, Biden's visit to the border is a political stunt. And I say, yes, but we need to stop falling into the trap that they keep laying of saying that they care about the border that they don't visit the border that it's all political we know that to be true but people who don't eat breathe and sleep politics like we do they all they hear is republicans complaining about the border really highlighting the dangers of the border and then when biden does go then republicans complain i said don't fall into that trap i commend him for going to the border but I condemn him for going to the lowest level of apprehension sector of the border, the safest part of the border. He didn't go to Eagle Pass or Tucson or Del Rio. He went to the place where there's little to none because of the natural fact of the matter that the water's too high for people to cross there. So he went to a place that was very safe. I mean, everyday Americans, particularly those in that community, know. That it was all political but we need to be smarter about how we communicate the fact that his visit yes it was a political stunt but i'm glad he went because he's recognizing that the polling numbers for him are a disaster that americans across the country are now living with the effects of his border policies that are total failures and just look at that poor student uh, who was murdered in athens georgia by an illegal that never should have been here we are seeing real consequences and i think it was so smart of President Trump to leak that he was going to the border because it forced Biden to act, not because he wanted to, but because he knew there was political ramifications if he didn't.
2: Kat, you, you know what I can't understand? I, I see what's going on in the border. I see what's going on in New York City because it's the results of the open borders. There are, there are people out there that don't believe it's happening. And I, I just you know uh, and I, uh, I watch at home I watch uh, on one screen one computer screen I watch CNN and another computer screen I watch Fox Business or Fox News
6: and that it's, has like, to be two, a schizophrenic uh,
2: experience and, <laughs> it's, it's two different worlds and uh-huh. you know I'm scratching my head I said how do you know used to we we came I came from an era you're much younger uh, from an era where ninety-two percent of the people believed Walter Cronkite, no, now nobody believes anybody. Yep. Well, what, what, what do you think? Where, what's going to come? I have friends, good friends, that that don't believe there is a problem at the border.
6: You'd have to be living under a rock or delusional to ignore the crisis at the border and what that means for your community. I mean, I I, I have. Good friends like you who politically we don't necessarily agree, folks that I grew up with, people in my own family who we don't see eye-to-eye at all when it comes to politics. But even now, they're seeing so many of the, the pieces that are damaging, whether it is the fentanyl that's killing over 100,000 people, which just to put that in context, the, the opioid crisis in our communities – and this, of course, is directly tied to the open border – That open border policy has resulted in the equivalent of an airliner going down every single day in America. If an airliner with 300, 250, 300 passengers went down every single day and crashed, killing everyone on board, there would be a commission formed by the end of that week, and all flights would be grounded. But because it's a little bit out of sight, out of mind, people ignore it. But today, you can't talk to anyone in America who has not been in some way impacted. They know someone who's been poisoned and killed. They have a family member, a friend, a coworker. Someone in their orbit has been affected by the fentanyl poisonings as a direct result of the open border crisis. You, of course, are seeing now California, New York, New Jersey, Chicago – places that are completely uh, overrun to the point that they are closing down schools, kicking veterans out of uh, assisted living facilities. People are being disrupted at the expense of illegals and sanctuary cities that are trying to accommodate them. And then, of course, our legal system, two-thirds of all federal arrests are illegals. Two-thirds of all federal arrests. And the thing that's wild to me is the FBI, when you talk about crime and the direct correlation to the illegals, we know that there's MS-13, there's gang members, there's all kinds of problems that are are equated with the open border policy. The FBI, their crime statistics, only 44 percent of all agencies In the United States, police departments are reporting their crime statistics. And you have to sit back and wonder, hmm, I wonder why there's only 44% reporting their crime statistics. Is it because maybe it would paint the picture very clearly that we have a problem with crime in this country and that illegal immigration is a massive problem and a contributor to that? Hell, they're breaking the law to get in the country. What makes you think they're going to follow it once they get here?
2: Well, Kat, let me tell you something. I'm glad you're in Washington. I'm glad you're, you're putting in your two cents. I'm glad you next time put in four cents at least. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, we have to save our countries, our cities, uh, because we certainly are going in the wrong direction, and I fully support uh, going in the right direction. And God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you so much.
6: Appreciate you, John. We'll talk soon.
2: The Cats Roundtable. With us today is Mario Gabelli one of the world's famous uh, entrepreneurs and investors. Barron's has done many a story about him. Mario, good to hear, hear from you and talk to you again.
4: Uh, my privilege and my pleasure to talk about the stock market and the capital markets around the world, and particularly in the U.S.
2: This is an election year, uh, Mario. Uh, what the Democrats want, they want, to, they want to make sure that Bidenomics works, whether it does or not, Bidenomics works, they're trying to get the price of oil down so people don't have to pay more than $3 a gallon for gasoline. They want to get the stock market over 40000 They want to get interest rates down so, so people can afford to buy homes again. And they want to get the price of foods going down. And other than the stock market, nobody else is cooperating with them. Give us your vision. Of what do you think yeah, is no, going that's to happen a great between now uh, and- good
4: starting point. Let's do it very quick. There's no question that political dynamics have an influence. For example, today uh, the local newspapers carry a story about how we are trying to uh, preclude Chinese cars coming from the United States and you know, I've been following the auto industry for 55 years. When you buy a car, you want it efficient, you want it to work, but you also want to know what your if you would decide to sell in 3 to 5 years what it's worth. Meanwhile, no Chinese cars are coming in the U.S. at the moment, but the UAW loves to hear that. In event, the world is $110 trillion, John, and the United States is a quarter of that. So we're doing quite well. The United States consumer has a very good approach. There's some minor income inequality that has to be addressed in the sense that individuals that are working at, uh, for $25,000 in Iowa uh, or any part of the Midwest are okay, but in New York you've got problems. From that point of view, uh, we want to look at that. There's a pent up demand for certain consumer goods. The industrial sector is benefiting, uh, benefiting from programs that were put in place. The Inflation Reduction Act, like giant shrimp, as misworded. But basically, the notion that we ran into problems four years ago when we had the uh, COVID, uh, getting stuff from China, we're reshoring and nearshoring, and that's helping the Midwestern part of the United States. The second part is that because interest rates went up because of what Powell did with regards to high rates lasting longer. There's a fairly significant pent-up demand for housing, all of which is pretty positive. In addition to that, we have some other crises in the United States that need to be addressed, and we're working on that. One of those, for example, is water. When you develop artificial intelligence, known in the trade now as AI, they need data centers. The data centers consume water to cool the location. So the absorption of water, the ability to to, uh, contain that the ability to get energy and its use is an important dynamic. So there's a lot of pluses and minuses. From a stock market's point of view, you've got to have two things, earnings, the outlook for earnings, and a multiple. The multiple is a function of interest rates, and that's what the market is saying is that the rates are not likely to go higher. The question is, how high will they stay? What's the normal rate when things turn down? And what do I pay for the earnings outlooks for the next several years? The challenge that you're pointing out is that if I shop at Costco, uh, you know, I have my food costs contained. I mean, you know, there's John, there are bargains there. On the other side, the consumer going out to the store says, wow, I haven't seen a reduction in price. So what the regulators are doing and the politicians are attempting to do is to throw bones to get elected. That's why they would say, uh, like Albertson's merger, which is – a you know, when I shop at Albertsons in the West Coast, and they do a very good job. They say, uh, well, they're going to raise price. Yeah. I can always go shop somewhere else if they try to raise price too much. But they're doing it because food costs are an element. Second part, John, is that when you and I are paying our electric bills, that cost is high. And so they're trying to, for example, in Illinois and Connecticut, they're trying to reduce the amount of money the energy companies can earn on the embedded capital that they put in place for years. And that's going to be a real long-term problem. So you've got to live with all of this. From the stock market's point of view... Clearly, uh, every so often, you get into different phases. Today, it's uh, Wagovi, and it's uh, artificial intelligence, and those are the headlines. And uh, the Magnificent Seven now become who knows what. So the, and so we look for ways to make money for clients on an ongoing basis, not only over the next 12 months, over the next 10 years. Then the final part of the way you look at how much money is a company going to earn, and then how do they keep it? So what is the tax structure going to be in 2025? What happens to corporate taxes? What's happened to the ability to do research and development? What what can you do for write-offs in terms of depreciation? Can you take 100%, which is a great incentive to put new productivity in place? Then from the student's point of view, why not allow students to take a tax deduction for their tuition bills? So there's a lot of things that can be done.
2: Me and you could talk forever on that because I have a a lot of opinions, too. Let's look at the long term. Is there a future in electric cars or is it going to die?
4: Well, John, when you go back to go forward, look through the rear view mirror, first of all. First of all, when there was a shortage of electronics and other components, the car companies focused on high-priced cars. And because they did that, the average price of a car rose sharply. Secondly, the dealer was so much in demand, he didn't give you a discount, and there wasn't that much promotion, and then interest rates cost for carrying a car. All of that is coming back into shape. The consumer out there needs a car that he can buy for $35,000, not $48,000. The fleets and the government agencies need lower price cars. So there is a pent-up demand, but not necessarily for cars at $75,000. The notion that you're giving a credit for an electric car What only rich people can get is challenging to me. The electric car continues to have the challenge of saying, cold weather, i got to get used to it. How far can I drive without, where can I refill, and how quickly can I refill? Those are minor issues. The big issue is, what does it cost me when the batteries run out? How much is that going to cost? What is the value of the car in case I have to sell it? What happens if there's an accident? Why is there so high cost of repair work? And then why can some guy attack me by uh, disconnecting my car when I'm driving with all the electronics. In it. So there's a lot of things that are work in progress. So in the future, I think we'll continue to do well with regards to various forms of internal combustion engine, and also various forms of hybrids and various forms of hydrogen and various forms of electric.
2: Uh, well, exactly what the uh, CEO of Toyota said. Uh, I'm going to make them all and let the, let the consumer decide.
4: Well, that's the way it should be, not the state of California.
2: The future of energy. It's not going to be. It's not going to be windmills. It's not going to be solar cells. I, you know, we're in the oil business, and we're slowly going to transition over the next ten, twenty years into small nuclear reactors. Any opinion?
4: Yeah, my own reaction is fairly uncomplicated. Look uh, how quickly we forget Three Mile Island challenges with regards to nukes. Independent of that. Clearly, we would like to have a cleaner environment, we'd like to have less plastics that are in the water, we'd like to have less PFAS, the uh, chemical that lasts forever. From the point of view of energy, we also have to be practical. You cannot count on an unstable East. You cannot count on Maduro not attacking Guyana. You cannot count on Iran, Iran, and Iran. And so as a result of that, having flexibility by rebuilding our storage of energy through our strategic reserve, which has been downplayed, and having nat gas and having it distributed to those poor individuals in New England through better piping systems, you got to be practical. And during that process, come up with what you're talking about. Have the guys at MIT, the guys at technology centers, figure out some other ways. And just like in 1859 in Titusville, they found oil and saved the whales. Somebody's going to come up with new ideas. As long as you allow entrepreneurialism in the United States to foster, do not condemn people with new ideas. Encourage them to make money. And when they make money because they can solve problems,
2: praise them. Mario Gabelli, we're up on time. You have a a last thing, something to tell the American people?
4: Yeah, I think so. Love sports. And all of you should buy a share of an Atlanta Braves baseball team. For $40, you can own a baseball team, and you can participate in the opening season in about three weeks. And then on top of that, you can buy a basketball team by buying Madison Square Garden Sports. The Knicks are available for $180. Then on top of that, you can buy a soccer team. So play sports, invest in sports, and uh, enjoy the March Madness that's coming up.
2: Mario Gabelli, thank you for your wisdom, and we'll catch up again sooner than later. Take
4: care. Have a great day.
2: You are listening to the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us this morning is General Wesley Clark, the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. General, a lot of Americans are confused.
1: Can you fill in all Americans? John, I'm happy to. And I I would put it this way. I think the United States is in a new era of international relations. We went through the Cold War, and uh, and you and I remember it very well, but it ended 30 years ago. For 30 years, there's been the idea that America is the indispensable power, that we're a unique and exceptional superpower. And on the periphery of There have been other countries growing and developing their power, envious of us, uh, determined to block us. One of them is China. Another is Russia. Uh, Iran is still a problem in the Middle East. And so uh, we have to look around the world and say, where really are we? You have to say the post-Cold War period is over. It is a new era. There is a group of nations that are forming against us, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea— in an organized way that they've never done before. Secondly, in this new era, they are willing to use force. It was shocking to see Russia invade Ukraine. Actually, Russia put 200,000 troops, now they have 400,000 troops engaged against Ukraine. And just yesterday, President Putin threatened the West again with nuclear weapons. So they're willing to use force. Third thing is, that in this environment, nuclear weapons matter. Putin must think they matter, otherwise he wouldn't be threatening us. The administration must think they matter because President Biden said he didn't want to start World War III. So Russia has basically got almost a free pass to do whatever it wants to in Ukraine, and we are inhibited by these red lines that have either been negotiated or implicit understandings about what we can and cannot do to help Ukraine.
2: President Biden has forbidden the Ukraine from crossing over some of those lines into Russia.
1: That's exactly right. Our allies in Eastern Europe are very concerned. The closer they are to Russia, the more concerned they are. They say, well, if the United States is is so respectful of these red lines with Putin for Ukraine, are are we going to really risk a war over Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, Poland? What if Putin threatens nuclear weapons then? So um, it's a new world situation. All we a new a round table. So we've got to do a lot of things in Europe. And we have to understand also that the financial sanctions that we thought might be a substitute for real going after Russia, they're not working that well. They, they're an inconvenience. But Russia's economy is doing okay by the standards of the Kremlin, at least. They've got oil money to spend and uh, they're getting technology in. One of the recent uh, drones that was shot down determined to have a lot of American components in it. And if you look at trade, the trade between uh, Poland and Kyrgyzstan has skyrocketed in the last year. Kyrgyzstan is suddenly buying more from Poland? No, it's uh, buying it on behalf of Russia. And so that's not an isolated case. That's what happens with sanctions. They're just not that effective. And the the same thing is
2: happening— same thing is happening you with oil. It's, it's being shifted uh, midstream, some course.
1: But oil is a particular thing because uh, in the American political system, we're very sensitive to the price of gasoline. So if we could uh, just shut down Russia's export of nine or 10 million barrels of oil a day, the price of gasoline might be $8 a gallon, but Russia wouldn't have that money. Is it worth it for the American consumer to have to pay $8 or $9? Uh, that gallon for gasoline just to keep Russia from invading Ukraine, and they might do it anyway. These are the kinds of issues that we have to confront as a nation. And we also have to look at our armed forces. Don, the, the Army and Navy, uh, the volunteer force is a great concept. But as the memories of World War II faded and the memories of the Cold War have faded, young Americans don't have much interest in the armed forces. Eighty percent of the recruits we're getting into the Army have, uh, over the last two or three years, have all been people who come from Army families. Grandfather, father, uncle, aunt, brother, sister, they have a connection to the Army. But the vast majority of the American people don't, and we're missing our recruiting goals. Same thing with the Navy. So we have to relook this. And our military-industrial complex, we can't provide Ukraine with the artillery ammunition it needs. Why? We're not producing enough. So there are many different facets of where we are right now that have to be re-examined if we are going to continue to compete and have the kind of stable, American-friendly international environment Americans have traditionally come to expect.
2: What happened, uh, General, too, what I've been saying is that the fact is it's also oil money involved. When President Biden uh, took over, and created problems for the oil industry, and the price went from fifty-five to one hundred and ten. That made Russia's budget. That made all of OPEC's nations' budget. It made Iran's budget. And every time it, it is an attempt to get the price of oil down, something happens, like what happened with the Red Sea.
1: We're the we're the greatest oil producing country in the world. Our production is higher than anybody else's. We could produce more if the government wanted us to. They could incentivize it. They could open up more federal areas for drilling, et cetera. And so the administration is trying to get the balance right. We have to have oil for energy. We're we're still in a petroleum-based economy with oil and plastics and things like this. At the same time, we want to move and address the challenges of climate change. It's been a really tough balancing act. And in the middle of this, you've got this war going on. And it's increasingly hard for the United States to look at dealing with Russia and China as business as usual especially with the case of Russia, when you're being threatened with nuclear weapons, it's not business as usual. So we're going to get through this presidential election season one way or another, and the next president is going to have a a big challenge. If it's President Trump, maybe he'll just say to Mr. Putin, look, uh, you can have Ukraine. Uh, We're not interested in NATO. We're really interested in in just keeping uh, people away from our southern border, and let's make a good deal. And if it's President Biden, maybe he'll do what uh, Woodrow Wilson did 100 years ago, Woodrow Wilson ran for president in 1916 on the platform of we would not get involved in World War One." Thirty I days after he was inaugurated, he asked Congress for a declaration of war to go against Germany and Austro-Hungary. And so and
2: history repeats itself sometimes.
1: Well, it's what they say. Maybe it doesn't repeat itself, but at least it rhymes. And so uh, here we are again. We have pressing foreign policy issues. We have an election campaign going. We have two candidates who are squaring off against each other with different visions of the future. The American people have some fateful decisions to make in this election.
2: General, last question. We talked about the dangers of nuclear weapons. How far away is Iran from pushing that button and having them?
1: Well, my suspicion is that Iran probably has its first nuclear weapons right now, but doesn't want to declare it. Maybe because they don't have enough of them. Maybe because they're not sure of them. Maybe because they know that when they declare, maybe Israel will bomb them. I've watched this program evolve for a long time. And, you know, for years, we've for for two or three years, we said they're only months away from getting a nuclear weapon. Well, what's keeping them from getting a nuclear weapon? Well, they haven't announced it yet. So my guess is they probably are uh, in the throes of putting together their first uh, set of nuclear weapons. Once that's announced and becomes reality in the Middle East, it's a new environment for the protection of Israel. And it's a new incentive for the Arab states to gain their own nuclear weapons. General Wesley Clark,
2: thank you for everything you've done for our country. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you, John.
2: Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community our country and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.